Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man whose mama raised him on huge slabs of meat. He is the big captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Cheers, mates. And it's still snowing. Tonight we are drinking Lizard of Cause by Founders Brewing Company in beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan. Garage grade, 5 out of 5 bottle caps. I love this stuff, Captain. This beer is perfect for the winter months. I like to start off my Friday night with one of these on draft at my favorite spot. Lizard of Cause is packed with great flavor. It's a complex beer, but it has to be to mask the 10.5 ABV. You should uh, tell the listeners your favorite spot so they show up. I'm not going to do that. But you wouldn't even know or detect the high ABV because Lizard of Cause is full of chocolate, vanilla, and Mm -hmm. wonderful Michigan blueberries aged in oak barrels. And this fantastic brew is brought to us by this fantastic crew. (sighs) You see what you did there? First up, we have Big Pete from York, England. Big Pete says, I hope... I hope you can make it over to the UK when the Browns play in London. Well, (laughs) I'd love to do something like that. Captain, you're very well traveled. Have you ever been to London? Yes. I went every weekend. Every weekend. I went there once on a shorter trip than I would have liked. London is a great place to which everyone should experience. Next up, we have Cassandra in Seattle who says, try some Elysian split shot. That's an espresso milk stout from Seattle. And a name was Cassandra. Next, we have M&L Recruiting in Massachusetts. Let's go to Oregon City and say hi to Mark. Also, all the way in Berlin, Germany, we say hi and thanks to Laura. And I would like to give a thank you to Angela in Australia, who sent us a wonderful Christmas package. 
with a really cool Australian beer koozie. It was full on, man. It was full on. We're, we're practically, we've practically been adopted by Australia. The listeners don't know that, but yeah, that's where yeah. I'm fleeing to when the stuff hits the fan. They they want to they want to make our show a TV show, and uh, and they also gave me a job. So the fallout plan for the garage is Australia, is what we're saying. <laughs> right, we're heading down under. So we want to thank everybody for pitching in for the beer fund this week. And if you want to kick it up and buy us some beers for next week, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And for everything social media, you can follow us at Snapchat, Facebook, Untapped, all that stuff. Instagram. I got a little Instagram bet with my buddy that I can't get to a certain number by my birthday. So let's make that happen. And you can do so at True Crime Garage. And that's enough of the business. And enough of Australia as well. So gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. Captain, are you ready? Are you holding on to your seat? Because we are going to do mm-hmm. a quick update show. I'm holding on to something. This is a case that we've covered maybe more than any other case. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a few episodes on this one. Way back in season one, we covered the Long Island serial killer case and managed to accuse many people along the way of having been the <laughs> actual yeah. killer. Or at least maybe you should talk to them a little further. Right. Uh, but we will not let this case rest. And anytime there's a new development, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk to each other. And we also asked... For the wonderful Joshua Zeman and Rachel Mills, who did a fantastic job on the show Killing Season. I hope everybody checked that out because that was about the Long Island serial killer case as well as other cases Uh throughout the country. I thought it was one of the best documentaries that's come out in recent past. And we've asked them to join us to talk about some of these recent developments. Right, and currently it's on Amazon. So I'll put a link in the show description so you guys can check that out if you haven't already. One of the greatest things about this documentary is at the end of every episode, they they hook you. Yeah, and they do. I don't know if it was Josh. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna assume it wasn't Josh, and it, this was Rachel's doing. I'm gonna give her the props for that. Um, yeah. But it's at the each at the end of each episode, you're like, okay, well maybe I'll watch the next one. But then they hook you, and then you go. I have to watch the next one. This is a very easy show to binge watch. Yeah. The really cool thing here too, is they got the web sleuth community involved in the show. Yeah. Very cool. And you know, I thought, I really actually thought that that was going to be a cheesy thing, not because of the web sleuth thing. I'm a web sleuther myself. I've been mm-hmm. active on there What's for a handle? few years. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, but if you're on there, it's not hard to figure out who I am. Um, but the thing here is, <laughs> The thing here is, though, I'm glad that they got him involved, but mm-hmm. the thing that was really cool was the web sleuthers that came forward that they actually had on audio or video, they had some amazing theories, like some really good stuff to check out there. And the great thing about well, Killing Season— Well, some of it is just not theories. Some of it is just a great insight and actual knowledge. I mean, it's just not just some speculation. The other thing I loved about Killing Season was, it, what was it, about eight episodes? Mm-hmm. I think during the course of those eight episodes, there's about three or four really sketchy dudes that they come across that you're like, oh my God, this guy, it, yeah. he's either he's either the killer that they're looking for or he's— He's done something that 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 we should lock him up for. So check out the killing season available on Amazon. So a couple things happened with this documentary. One, they 
dove into new information. They try to uncover as much as they could. But during the course of filming and editing, a couple things came out in this case that we want to talk about in the news. And we're going to take you down some different roads with these new developments in the Long Island Gilgo serial murder case. But we're also going to take you down a different road on how we typically do these shows. I know that typically with with an interview show, it's usually just me and the interviewees. However, there were some conversations that I wanted to have been had between the captain and I regarding this ongoing investigation. Yeah, so it just goes between a little bit of the interview and then we go back to talking. So anyways, we'll see you in a little bit and let's check in with Josh and Rachel. First off, congratulations on the show. Killing Season was recently on A&E, but I'm wondering how long ago were you done with the production of the show? And there's been developments in the case since then. Did you remain involved in the investigation? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Officially, I guess you can say that we were done filming last year, in January of this past year of 2016. But um, editing process takes a long time, and with um, active investigations, <clears throat> things can happen. And um, as we were finishing up, literally, episode eight, um, things things broke May of 2006 in, uh, in Long Island. And that was the county executive yeah. um, saying that he was demanding Spoda's re- resignation. Now, that hasn't happened. Spoda's still in... Um, in leadership, but that was interesting. So we had to open the edit back up um, and make sure we we would be able to include that into the last episode. That was literally the last day of editing. Right. This you have the the highest elected official demanding the resignation of the district attorney in part by what happened in the Gilgo case. So we were just you know kind of flabbergasted that it was still it was always happening, you know, and it's always been happening and it continues to be so. It's it's a case that really just doesn't stop. One very fascinating part of the killing season was that you chose to work with the web sleuth community. Now I'm a big fan of web sleuths. What was your takeaway from working with the participants? Well, you know, the, the web sleuths are an interesting group. Um, it was really interesting. We wanted as kind of journalists to, look at what, not only look at like what the case, what was happening with the case, but look at what was most interesting to the web sleuth community. You know, in in a lot of ways, we wanted to make a true crime show for true crime junkies, you know, and the best way to do that was really to go to web sleuths. And also like they had kind of done their own sleuthing. And so we wanted to pick up where that left off. Now, the interesting thing is like the web sleuth community is like, you know, they're very particular. Uh, you know, you've got um, some really interesting folks on there, all different backgrounds, all different styles, all different like levels of like, you know, communication. And so it was, it was, it was, it was very interesting. I think people were skeptical, though, at first. They definitely didn't want to reveal who they were to us. Right, Rich? <clears throat> you know, everybody's like, would you say they were very nervous up front? Yeah, I mean, that's it's very easy to hide behind a, a handle or a screen name. There's some security in that. So for, for two filmmakers to come in and kind of, you know, <clears throat> communicate with them and, and try to get them on board, it took a little bit of convincing. But, yeah, on um, film. 
Yeah, they I'm were like, no, exactly. no, 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 I don't want to go on film. I don't want to go on film. Yeah. I was like, you've got such great ideas. Come on. Right. You know, but, you know, it was interesting because that's the whole thing. And that's, it, it's a good question, actually, because it's really like, it's about trying to bring the case out from the shadows, out from, like, behind the veneer of, like, the cable pundit, like the Nancy Graces. And really try and like empower people, just regular citizens, to do uh, to do things. Yeah, you know? you know, and it's interesting with the web sleuth community and going down the rabbit hole of all the Long Island serial killer forums on that site. The um, some of the bigger issues or the holes in the case um, from a public standpoint, from a web sleuth standpoint, kind of rises to the top. I mean, that definitely came out when we discovered through Web Sleuth, through Field Notes, that the mother of the toddler was not in Namath. I don't, I think it would have taken us much longer to figure that out. And just, if Field Notes hadn't said anything. If, if he hadn't said anything, and then to really understand what that means, what are the repercussions of not having right. her in Namath. And now, spoiler alert, fast forward, you know, to a couple of weeks ago, now that she is in Namath, because of our communication, Josh and myself, and, um, and uh, Todd, Todd, thank you, Todd, Todd Matthews, Matthews. Um, working with the medical examiner's office in Nassau, is that now she is in NamUs. And yeah. we thought we were just going to, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that happened. We, we knew we probably wouldn't catch the serial killer, right? right? But we can do something small. However, that small thing has now kind of been the biggest break in the case, in years. development in the case, yeah. since April 2011. It, it was really like the last little thing on our note, like, oh, let's get Jane Doe number three, who's the mother of the toddler, just to back up a little bit of, of the bodies that were found along Ocean Parkway. There was a mother and a toddler, and nobody quite knows, like, toddler, what's a toddler doing there? These are all sex workers. You know, and it's a big question. Uh, is it a sex worker who bring, brings a baby along on a trick, which we now know actually happens quite a bit. Uh, we didn't think so. Or, as some people have said, you know, is this a different sort of relationship and this is like somebody who the killer or killers knew and, you know, could this even be the wife and the child? So, this mother and toddler who are found is very, very interesting because that, like, gives you a lot of clues to go off of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't just give birth without there being a lot of records, you know? So, you know, a lot of these victims are really like under the radar sex workers, and now we've got a mother and toddler. So it's really interesting for a lot of people. But the really strange thing is we thought that the killer was being really devious, and this is one reason why people thought it was law enforcement, was because the, the person who dumped the bodies separated, intentionally separated the mother and the child, left the child basically next to another body, who's known as Jane Doe number six, and and dumped the mother literally across the county line in Nassau County. Now, all these unidentified victims that are found on the Suffolk County side of this of this crime scene are in Namus. But for some reason, Nassau County wasn't putting this Jane Doe in. And uh, from that, you know, we just emailed him and he said, oh, there, we, we can't put this person in because this these body parts here, I think it was like a, some it's extremities. Extremities. Mothers, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, we can't put these bodies here. We can't put this, this, we can't create a record for this victim 
because the victim is already in NamUs. And we're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And they're like, actually, we've linked this victim to another victim named Peaches. Now, Rach and I knew quite a bit about Peaches because Peaches was another uh, victim, a dismembered torso, that was found 40 miles east in Hempstead. But, we, you know, when this case rolled around, we were looking at all the uh, dismembered bodies uh, around. And, you know, you would think there's not that many, but actually there's a lot of dismemberment. You know, the question is whether or not uh, it's a forensic countermeasure to prevent identification or is this somebody who's, like, enjoying dismembering somebody, as, as Peter Brent had suggested with um, some of the bodies found in Long Island. So, as a result, it's now basically been proven that if Jane Doe number three is linked to Peaches, in fact, the body parts of the same victim, which we now know through DNA, this completely extends the forensic footprint of the killer. The killer is now just, killer or killers has now not just dumped bodies in Manorville and Gilgo Beach. He has also dumped a body in Hempstead. And that is 40 miles even, like, closer to New York City. So now you start to put your thinking cap on and say, hmm, is this guy from New York City? Is he live more towards Queens? You know, it really changes everything. And the disturbing part is that Suffolk County apparently knew this, and Nassau County knew that this victim was linked, but didn't tell anybody. And uh, that's what I think we found so interesting. I mean, it's not this game of trying to get information out of the police. It's kind of more of a frustration of why the police aren't being as forthright as possible and if the answer is, well, there's an active serial killer now roaming around two counties, I, I get it, but but I don't know. I mean, you, you would think the public deserves to know. So that's where we stand with, with at least that side of the, of the new developments. Do we have a known cause of death for either Peaches or the toddler, or at least how the remains were found? Well, you know, first of all, just to go even further with why it's so interesting, do you want to say uh, mm -hmm. the 97 verse 96 and what, how that totally okay. changes? So the other thing is Peaches was found in a Rubbermaid tub yeah. off a trail in a state park, but it's really like a very kind of, it's not, it's not really a, a park. No, but and also just um, in case you forget, she yeah. was found probably within three days of having been murdered. Sure. Right, right, yeah. right which is very important. Yeah. So this body, it, it's a torso, um, dark-skinned person. Uh, there's a, a tattoo of a peach on it, and um, and it's just a torso, literally the midsection. Yeah. No arms, no legs, no head. Um, and, you know, the way it was presented, being found in this Rubbermaid tub, there's the idea... This is something that Webster Peter Brent brings up. You know, it was it was kind of placed there to be found, um, and so it's more than just forensic forensic countermeasures when you're chopping up this body. It's also there's a little bit of a ha look at look at you know look at what I've done and and see how hor horrific I am. Uh, but the most interesting thing is this body was found in '97. Now, going back to the bodies that are found along Gilgo Beach 
and in Manorville. Um, the earliest one was 96. That's, that person is known as Fire Island Jane Doe. Uh, in 1996, a pair of severed legs washed up in a plastic bag on Fire Island. Um, that was in 96. And then in 2011, uh, they found the rest of this woman's remains on Gilgo Beach. Now, we didn't quite know, was this person really connected? You know, this is one of the things that maybe if you think there's numerous different killers around there and everybody's just using this area as a dumping ground, you know, maybe it's three. But now, when you have this woman's severed legs found in 96 and then this torso found in 97, you start to put it all together and you start to see a little bit more, you, you know. Yeah, well, then in just <clears throat> in addition to that, there was that gap between 96 and arguably 2000 with right. Jane Doe number six right. and Jessica Taylor in 2003. And then fast forward to 2007 when the first of the Gilgo Beach Four went, went missing, which was uh, 2007, and that was Marine. So having Peaches now directly linked to Gilgo puts, you know, brings everything back a little bit. 97. Right. Well, now you say, well, the 96, okay, 96, right, 97, 2000, 2003, right. uh, 2007. Like, it starts to fill in, and then where, where you have these periodical gaps, and you're like, no, 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 right. they can't be the same guy. Suddenly, you know, there's a difference between a four-year gap and a three-year gap. You know what I'm saying? Or And so it really brings in a question, like, is it now we, we debate back and forth. Maybe it is one killer. You know, we've definitely now started to say, like, wow, you know. Um, so that was, I think, the biggest revelation um, on the body side. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say um, Todd Matthews has been working with us very closely. Um, Todd Matthews? Todd Matthews is, uh, is the director of, the media director? Media director. Of NamUs, um, which who, is the public database, yes. Who happens to be his own. He started out as a wasn't a web sleuther back then, but it was a... From the Doe Network. Yeah, from the Doe Network. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's very interesting because he's the guy who found, who discovered who Tech Girl was. Right. Uh, and that was his own case for like 20 years. So he's a citizen sleuther as well who's now running uh, the director of communication for NamUs. So really, right. it's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, but I bring him up and I bring this process up because we've been working with him very closely for the past... I mean, for years, but very heavily the past month. And um, between all our work, got the mother of the toddler into NamUs. And Todd, um, through conversations that I've had with him, um, feels this is a big, this is big progress. And uh, I think he is now going to put more energy from his side into looking at the rest of the unidentified and and more active. When you say more energy from his side, which is just like maybe tasking a couple more people with with making sure that all the biometrics are in, like the the dental records and and everything. And and there's also um, ways that they can work with with DNA as well. They can be more, um, they can outreach more to possible people who could be connected and do that. I don't want to say too much about it, but um, that should be coming Sometimes, yeah. So, you know, it's just very interesting. We got in this. Just all we wanted to do was really bring attention to this case and maybe try and identify somebody. Um, we, we've always said that it's identification of these unidentified, which is really, you know, the key to solving this case. But also, I think it's the key to empowering people. Like, if you're listening to this show and you're interested in true crime, you know, and you're like, well, I'm not going to be a cop. 
But you can actually go out there on websites. You can actually identify. Yeah. You can help identify, and you can make a huge major break in a case. Well, look, just today I'm going to bring up the the pillowcase. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. literally, um, coming back from you know holiday weekend, I go onto WebSleuth and I see that my inbox is full from people saying, "Did you see about the pillowcase? Did you see about the pillowcase?" I go online, and the WebSleuther. So just to back up, when Peaches was found in that Rubbermaid container back in '97, a pillow sham and a towel was found with her, um, and no one had figured out like where those came from or like had done the the, the really deep work to see you know. You know, what was, who was the manufacturer? Where was, you know, where may have someone bought that in Long Island or New York back, you know, circa 90 to 97? Right. Um, so they actually were able to trace it back and have discovered that it was manufactured, I believe, between 90 and 95 okay. by a certain manufacturer that only sold to these places. So right now, as we're speaking, um, they're hard at work at figuring out and cross-referencing where that what what store may that have come from right. now that means they that might might sound not significant but everything's significant yeah we didn't know that putting the mother of the child in Namus was going to be as significant as it was so you just never right, know right you never know right so now it's like okay like did he get it at macy's in like the roosevelt mall you know like right. all these things are going to point to where the footprint of the killer is and when you're talking about geo profiling you know, that all, if that becomes really significant. So that's one um, kind of big update. If I could just say real fast, yeah. that kind of specific information is what web sleuthers do so, so great. Yeah. And where I understand law enforcement not wanting to include web sleuthers, you know, in all these investigations. I understand their hesitation. But, for instance, if they had gone, and they might know this information already, we don't know. But if they have information like that of, like, Let's figure out where this um, object was from. Um, could spend they could save so much manpower yeah. because they are they're as we always say they're overworked and underpaid. So yeah. those are the kinds of things that they're super good at. All right, we'll get back to our interview with Joshua and Rachel right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 and use code TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, and we're back from our beer break. You have got to get the public involved when it comes to these cases, especially cold cases. Mm -hmm. And we have seen with cases that we've recently covered, we covered the Jacob Wetterling case a couple weeks ago, and we saw in that case it's 27 years old, and a blogger gets involved and starts piecing together crimes that were related to the Jacob Wetterling case. And what I'm getting at here is that it seems almost shameful to me. I understand that law enforcement needs to hold certain things close to the vest Mm -hmm. because they have to be able to verify if a confession is real or not and know if somebody is an actual suspect. But we see something like with the Amy Mihaljevic case, 26 years after the fact, they come forward and they say, you know what? We found this curtain or we found this rug at the crime scene. And we Mm -hmm. believe that it's part of the crime scene, that it's part of the victim, that it's linked to the victim here. Yeah. Can can the public help trace these? Have you seen these before? Do you know anybody that owned this curtain or this rug? But you're asking 26 years later. People move away. People pass away. People forget. Yeah. What What is shameful to me is that it's so late in the game. I like with the LISC investigation that they're coming forward with this information now and asking, do you know about this pillowcase? Let's figure this out. And that's what the Web Sleuth community is so good at. Well, and I just think the true crime community in general is good at, I mean, we're all armchair detectives. I think that's why we get into the genre, right? So, and then, you know, recently, you know, we covered a case, uh, season one that, you know, is close to our hometown, but there is, uh, some developments that we're trying to make behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we haven't really talked about that on the show, but we don't really want to discuss that until there's some validity to what basically you discovered, um, you know, I can't take a lot of credit for that. Well, so, but to, to put to what Josh and Rachel are talking about here, mm-hmm. getting web sleuths and NamUs involved in these things, uh, we've been working with local law enforcement here and the NamUs organization for several months, trying to put some things together here. And we're hoping to see some developments in a case that, that we've worked for. And I never knew what NamUs was. You okay, so, so just explain that to some of the audience um, listeners that might not know what it is. So it's 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 not missing persons. It's unidentified remains or unidentified bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, so every jurisdiction throughout the country they find unidentified bodies, Jane Doe's, John Doe's, and they put them into this system. It's called the Namus system because they, you know, the the victims want to be named you know, identify us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good name for the, so, the so system. the name of system, they, they are able to put in certain amounts of information regarding these Jane Doe's and John Doe's. And the, the problem with it is it can be very vague information. Mm-hmm. So on a national spectrum right now it's voluntary. So, so law enforcement is not required to go in and put anything in there. Um, they're, they're not required to check NamUs. Uh, but what has recently developed in this country, which is great, it's a great thing. They tried to get it passed nationally, that it would be a required 
uh, act that law enforcement would be involved in. That and, they, right, they would have to put all this information into the database. Correct. And right now, what has taken place is there's only two states in the country that have passed this and made it law. But mm-hmm. it started with Connecticut and then it moved to New York, where this is now a requirement that they are checking these, that they are putting certain information in there. Now, anybody can go to, and I recommend that you do so, go to NamUs, go to their website scout around on there and see what's going on in your community. Or if there's a case that you're interested in and a missing person or somebody that that's been lost for, for years, right. you can, you can troll through there and, and figure out what's going on and see if there's any kind of match. It, some of the information is vague because this is voluntary. Some of it's very descriptive and detailed. Um, mm-hmm. but the thing here is law enforcement and the FBI, they actually have the ability to get onto NamUs and they can see different information than the general public can. So it's a valuable source. It's a valuable piece that that is not required and should, frankly, be required in all states. Right. Well, yeah, so here's the interesting thing, right? So this all stems from uh, the, 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 the parents of this guy, Billy Somolinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's from Connecticut. And we actually interviewed the Smolinski family. Uh, if you go on uh, the A&E uh, site, you can actually see the interview we did the Smolinskis. You can actually even see uh, the work we did on Peaches before we knew, and, and we didn't include it because we can never like say, oh, she's a definitive victim. And suddenly we find out later at, when the show's done that Peaches really is a victim. And it's funny because we did all this work to try and find out who she was. So you can actually go on the site and see the additional con- the additional content about peaches, but this is so they were trying to pass a law for years called Billy's Law. After this, and basically the whole problem is is that this this public database isn't um, sorry when missing person information is entered into the database. Um, there's two different databases. There's the database that the police can see, and there's the database that the public can see and they're not they don't work together and that's because law enforcement wants to put some information in that they don't want the public to see but what happens is no offense to law enforcement or to anybody but you know data entry is not law enforcement's strong suit uh it's not really anybody's strong suit pretty much i don't know but you know these guys are out like having to hit the streets and like find killers not hunting and pecking on a computer to type in information. And so as a lot, as a result, a lot of this kind of missing persons stuff is all like, you know, just kind of gets messed up. Like, you know, was, was the person five, six or six, five, you know, or, you know, were they born in 19, you know, 66, you know, 67 or 76, you know, it, it, all these little number changes, you know, uh, are, are, you know, can totally do it. So, you know, you're never going to be your best advocate. Nobody else is going to be the best advocate except like you or, you know, if you're a missing person, it's like your family. So they made this law in Connecticut and, and Murphy is the guy, the congressman who we interviewed, you know, to try and pass this thing that, you know, they have to put this information publicly. You as a parent need to be able to go in and look at this information and make sure that the information about your missing child is actually correct because, what they had found out when they went to look is that all the missing person information about their kid was incorrect. And so when it was going through the databases, it, there was no hits because it was all incorrect. So Connecticut was the first one to pass it. 
Now, Chris Murphy, interestingly enough, tried to get this bill passed nationally, but anything that's required by law enforcement is not going to pass nationally. So, unfortunately, it's died three times now, yeah. and, and it, that, that was really frustrating for us because it was like, come on, it's missing people. You know what I'm saying? Like, how... Like you put put the information there, you know. It's it's there's so much tragedy, but unfortunately they did it, and now so now it's happening through states, and so it was first Connecticut, Chris Murphy, now Cuomo signed it, and uh, that's part of the reason. Part of the reason is you know it's, it's and, by law. And recently there was an article that is specifically about this case and specifically about Namus, and mm-hmm. they're talking about the unidentified deceased missing persons that are out there and how NamUs can be involved in this. And the interesting thing here, when we talk about the Long Island serial killer case, this article states that in Nassau County, where bodies were found, we have 11 unidentified deceased persons. And in Suffolk County, where some of the other bodies were found in this case, we have 27 unidentified missing persons, deceased bodies. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me, that's a crazy statistic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's heavy, and, and not only crazy, but that's scary. It's a heavily populated area, you know, so the, you you might expect a higher number there. However, these are more recent cases. This isn't going back to the beginning of time. This is in more recent times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of granted. There's a lot of space in Suffolk County. Yeah. There's a lot of woods, you know. But it's like it's really interesting, you know, as we kind of get more granular with our data. And that's something we try to show in the whole the whole series, whether it's, you know, Tom Hargrove's Murder Accountability Project. So those who aren't familiar with this, Tom Hargrove was an investigator mm-hmm. and he set Investigative up... Investigative journalist. Yeah, and he set up this uh, nonprofit organization that basically tracks unsolved murders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tracks them nationwide. And actually, when they started putting this data together and collecting it and then cataloging it, once he had put in all that work and all that effort, there was a bit, uh, he was a bit hesitant to release this because I saw an interview with him and he stated, you know, I felt like by releasing this to the public, mm-hmm. we're almost saying, you know what, if you want to, if you want to kill somebody and you want to get away with it, then you can do that in Detroit. You can do that in Chicago. You're, you could probably kill somebody in one of those cities and, and nobody ever catch you for it. He was worried about that portion of it. However, investigatively, and the amount of help that it could do yeah. in reverse to that is what is much more important and what we're going to see. You know, this is holding local law enforcement accountable. It's not just reading about somebody dying or being found somewhere. And, and then months later, you read about somebody else or a year later, you read about somebody else. No, it's it's putting it all together in one place to look at it and say, whoa, 30, that's a high number. 35 that's that that is unacceptable and are they connected yeah yeah do we have a serial killer here or do we have a group of people doing this uh for some reason these murders are going unsolved and we've got to hold law enforcement accountable to that yeah i mean we are paying their i mean i I don't want to sound uh super negative uh towards law enforcement because i support law enforcement obviously a bunch of friends involved in it but that's this the reason why we have law enforcement. This is the reason why we have taxes in the in our cities. And going back to something that Joshua and Rachel were talking about earlier, that's another thing too. You know, when these cases go cold, even if it's just a couple of months, if they've got nothing, if they've got no leads, let's present it to the public. 
Let's get this crowd sleuthing involved and mm-hmm. see how we can take these cases off of our books and put people behind bars. And like we said before, I mean, we've always joked, you know, the true true crime garage, but our, our listeners, we like to call them the true crime army. And But that's essentially what all these other podcasts and all these documentaries are doing as, as it becomes more and more popular genre you know, there's a lot of intelligent people that dive into these cases uh, as a hobby. And I, I think we're going to start seeing more and more cases solved, um, you know, by the true crime army. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to say, which I found so interesting, which we, we were talking about earlier, which is like when the police come um, and, you know, say, well, we need help identifying who this individual is, you know, 12 years ago. And, and you know, it's like, it's weird, but like you almost have to make it. You have to think like a a movie, or think like you have to make it engaging for the audience. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like you, it can't. It's not. We're not in the days of uh, you know. Um, it's ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Or call this thing on a call this face on a milk carton, or even um, America's Most Wanted. You know, like it's two point you know, and in the 2.0 world, you have to, like, make it engaging. Like, you have to show people that their things can be done. Like, when first you do the TV show, and then we happen to have this little thing, this invest, you know, this thing with Peaches, and now everybody is all over this case. And now you really do have people and a chance to actually solve it. One of the things that I like the most about the killing season, and I didn't know this in advance, even having talked to you before the show came out, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. you were going to travel around the country and check out different cases. I thought this was all going to be Long Island. And you ended up covering some cases that we've covered on this show. And I have some suspicions about the Long Island serial killer case. And that that stems from one of the cases you covered when we covered the West Mesa uh, body pit case or bone collector, as he's been referred to. Um, One thing we were able to point out on our show was that out of the 11 victims found, five of them knew one another. We were able to connect the five of them. And I have a suspicion that with the Long Island case, if we we can, let's take a leap here and think and say maybe one person did all of these murders. Well, that's that's a lot of bodies, right? It, It would be hard for me to believe that some of the victims did not know the killer. And I don't mean that it was like a boyfriend or a best friend or, or somebody that they had a long-term relationship with. I'm talking about maybe it's a frequent customer or somebody that they had known from the area. There's a reason why some of these girls went with this guy. And that leads me, and that leads me to my other suspicion regarding the Long Island case is that maybe, and I don't mean to discredit your web sleuther who said that we probably have a torso killer mm-hmm. in the area, um, we, we very well may have, uh, but well, just to be clear in the documentary, one of the web sleuth guys is he comes out saying, Hey, look, there's a chance that there's not just one killer, that mm-hmm. there's possibly two. And his evidence of that is that there's uh, a torso killer. Mm-hmm. Right? And he believes that there's a torso killer. So if you go with one being a torso killer and one just being, uh, dumping of bodies and not cutting them up then we have two killers. Right. And and I would suspect in either situation, you know, whether it be two killers or whether it be one, that the the difference in how they're leaving the bodies to me points out that there's some way to trace the murderer from the victim. And what I mean by that is if you 
essentially he's the torso killer is taking these bodies apart. He's removing mm. all the identifiers from the body and he's just leaving a torso. So therefore, if you if you need the hands or the the eyes or the face or the head to to identify the body, if you can't find those, you can't identify the torso that I had to get rid of. Right. So therefore, to me, placing a torso in in a rubber tub and dropping it off of a trail in a park somewhere just seems to me like a quick way of getting this thing out of my car and leaving it somewhere. And furthermore, I don't mm-hmm. really care if it takes you three hours to discover what I have left here in the park, or if it takes you three weeks because you cannot trace it back to me. Well, and yeah, my, my thought too on, you know, I think it's crazy to think that a killer can't change. We've seen it multiple times in the past where, you know, somebody might kill somebody with a gun and then kill all their other victims with a knife. So I, you know, this idea that these serial killers never change, they always kill the same way that just, I think historically that's been proven false. Well, actually it's, you're exactly right. It's been proven time and time again that they, most of them do change. They adapt. And here's what typically happens in these cases where you have a, a span of many bodies over the span of many years, Right. So what typically happens is either a they get better at what they're doing and they improve and they get harder mm-hmm. to catch or two, they're something outside of the actual act of killing has changed in their life. Maybe at one time that they, they lived with other people. Right. So they had to dump in one way and now they live alone and they have different means and they have more time and more privacy to do whatever they need to do. That that's one way they change. Another way that they change. We saw it with Ted Bundy. He just starts losing control and he's just becomes a frenzy killer after at some mm-hmm. point. He's he's less thought out and he's just disorganized where beforehand he was very organized. And another situation we've seen in multiple cases and this happens a lot is they start to get lazy. They start to get they think that they're good at what they do. After a few bodies, they've not caught me. Mm-hmm. I've been out here running around for years. They've not caught me. They can't There's no way they can catch me. They don't even know what they're doing. I don't have to make the extra effort anymore. You know, that's, that's a very interesting, interesting point. Number one, you know, I'm now, you know, I haven't said this publicly before, but, you know, now kind of thinking about the, the one killer, maybe he did get lazy, you know, um, just like um, uh, Rifkin, Rifkin, you know, was cutting up at first and then decided not to. You know, there, there was, look at the care of how, how dismembered they were earlier and, like, even how of the dismembered victims, how they started to be less and less dismembered. Um, you know, there's that. And, and I think we are, may, we may find out that actually, at least on the GV4 side, that the girls may have worked together. Um, you know, the West Mesa thing is very interesting um, because we were able to find out that so many of them knew each other, but they didn't. But one thing we didn't go into on the show is they actually, some of them actually knew each other, they all went to the same grammar school. The thing that we were able able to point out on our show and prove on our show, which was really cool, was that there was a caller mm-hmm. who had called the mother of one of the victims. Now, the caller herself, she's a sex worker, and she tells the mother that you, your daughter is dead. She's been killed along with another girl, and they're both going to be found in the West Mesa body pit. And it turns out later that this girl that had called, she's found in that same pit as well with those yeah. with those other two girls. So it's easy to link those three together. And when we were well, able yeah. To- and the big question is is how did this lady know to call the mom of the victim? Right. And then who did she know 
to get this information from. And then how the hell did she end up in the pit? Exactly. Well, the crazy thing here, though, is that we were able to prove that she knew at least two of the other girls. So you could, you were pairing five of the victims together and proving that they knew one another. Furthermore, the, the girl that called that ends up being found later. Yeah. The last time she spoke to her parents before she was reported missing, she had called them and she was very excited. She had a new boyfriend. He just got out of prison. They were going to run away and get married together. And she never identifies the boyfriend. The parents never meet him. We don't know his name. However, it's after this phone call, a few months later, she's reported missing. And then after that, she's found in the West Mesa with, along with these other girls, two of which she named by name and five that were all linked together per our show. Well, let me just give you a little bit of advice this year in 2017. If you start dating a guy and he's he's the love of your life and he just got out of prison, don't tell your parents that part. Okay? That's not good. Or at least at least tell his name. Yeah, yeah. Or make sure you get his fingerprints. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you saw did you see the latest developments in the Mesa case? From a couple of months ago? Mm, not really for sure what you're talking about. I'll fill you in real fast. So with Lorenzo Montoya, who a lot of uh, people think is, is, you know, the number one suspect who is conveniently killed um, or dead. Uh, so just recently, some journalists put pressure on the records department at Albuquerque Police Department um, and got released some videotape of Loren- from Lorenzo Montoya um, and the the news release them and you it's it's Lorenzo you can't see him um and what they released was like a static photo like a static video of like his bed and side table and then of um the sound of what sounds like duct tape being pulled so the idea is that he was there with uh some women they actually released photos of these women too um and that you know we know he's he's killed in the past. Um, this isn't, you know, evidence that he is the killer, but it does exhibit that if that sound is correct and it's duct tape and you hear garbage bags that, you know, he might have been involved in some other nefarious activity um, other than just the one murder that we do know he committed. Well, all right. But just between me and you and everybody else that's going to listen to this case. <laughs> I really don't get the vibe that they're actively investigating the West Mesa case. I feel like in this case, what has happened here is that they discovered all these bodies. They spent a good year or two working the case. They have a suspect who's dead. They mm-hmm. have a suspect that is behind bars for another case. And I feel like here they're just saying, okay, well, that's going to have to be good enough. Well, and then we see this all the time when there's a bunch of sex workers that go missing. Uh, they do because, because of the, public fear because of the public outcry yeah they put a little work into it but once it goes out of the once the public isn't talking about it anymore i think they really just throw up their hands and they go look these women were putting themselves in danger so look they're sex workers we're, we're not going to spend all this time and energy to try to solve their murder i mean the weird thing is, is we actually got that on film where like we were tr- that's when the when, that's where we like make the phone call to like the hotline because they weren't speaking to us. So we were like going to call the hotline to like try and speak to them, but we couldn't even get through because both of the numbers were down. And so we were frustrated that they weren't going to speak to us. But then you, you know, you see like, Oh my God, guys, like, you know, your, your, your hotlines aren't even working. I mean, how much 
you know, how much work does it take to do that? I, I, I think, you know, uh, Albert Hertz is a tough place. Yeah. Albert Hertz is a really tough place. You know, they've had some real issues with their law enforcement. Uh, we've spoken to the law enforcement since then, and they've kind of been like a little bit like um, reactionary to maybe at least take our phone call. Yeah. Um, and it, again, it like seems like they want to do something, but it also is a systemic problem of just the whole thing. Yeah. Well, and then with a case as old as as old as the West Mesa case, and everything they fucked up from the beginning, looking into that case. Uh, and that they've been um, investigated and still are by the Department of Justice, um, not for this, but for other civil rights violations. Um, In the course of investigating this kind of case with so many victims, that's so old, you may come up with something that's not going to reflect too good on yourself as a police department. Um, And I think that's always a concern um, when maybe there's been two to three uh, you know, different kinds of leadership going on over the past decade. Um, you don't want to look like you didn't do your best, um, even if it maybe was the responsibility of um, your predecessor. Right. I think that's a, that's what we're finding in, in a couple of these yeah. cases. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing, like, sure, they want to do the work, but they're also a little afraid of what they might yeah, find. Yeah, exactly. And then they're going to have to, like, publicly be like, ugh, you know. I don't mean to change sub- subjects here, but regarding the Long Island case, there's a part on your show where you're interviewing either the new chief or the new commissioner of police, and there's discussion of an FBI profile regarding the Long Island serial killer. And he has said that he's going to to seek that out and have the FBI do it. And, and has that been addressed? Has it been presented to no. the public? It has not been addressed. Um, did he promise to deliver it to us? Because hell, I'm gonna come back. I don't. From my recollection, he didn't promise to deliver it to us. He said that a, pr- a profile is going to happen. Going to that happen. doesn't mean they have to share it with anyone. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, and one of the biggest updates in this case since the documentary, The Killing Season, which is on Amazon, you can check that out now on Amazon. Uh, I'll put a link again in the show description. But one of the big things that came out was the police chief. Um, it has some charges against him. He's facing, he's in a little bit of hot water. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so this was interesting. Rach got a tweet from a woman, um, claimed to be a sex worker and, um, we met her kind of clandestinely in this car and, and, uh, she, uh, told us that. Uh, she allegedly had sex with the former chief of police um, uh, at, a, at a house in Oak Beach. Um, and, you know, police officers and sex workers, you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world uh, for them to have sex. But I guess the point was they had sex in the bathroom of this house basically four miles away from where uh, 11 bodies were found basically four months after. So not only, like, you know, you're just literally, you know, you've got so many bodies of sex workers found, and here you are, a police chief having sex with a sex worker just, like, around the block, literally, and just a couple months later. And it's it's just, well, number one, it's kind of tasteless, you know, and, and beyond the bounds of, like, you know, um, 
what you should be re representing as a police officer. But to kind of do that kind of sends a different message of, you know, you really don't care about what's going on. And so um, there have been a lot of talk on Wesley's and a lot of other places that, you know, the police chief, you know, he has already been incarcerated uh, for um, for violating a guy's rights. Uh, a guy basically broke into his car. Uh, at, at the time, he was a heroin addict. Uh, we've told that they would actually break into specifically police cars to steal drugs because sometimes the police officers have drugs in their car from evidence or what have you. Confiscating. Yeah, confiscating it. So they they knew what cars that they were getting into, and they stole. They broke into this police chief's car, and inside the car they found a duffel bag, and inside the duffel bag they found this like quote unquote nasty porn. Um, we're not quite sure what nasty porn means, but it's got to be pretty nasty for someone to call it nasty porn. So uh, take your own inference there. Um, so the police chief goes to the guy's house as, like, he's being arrested, takes the guy and, like, starts beating the shit out of him, and this mysterious duffel bag disappears, and the porn disappears, um, which gives you some indication of maybe what we're looking at. And then it suddenly comes out that this guy had been doing a lot of other things. He had been surveilling some other detectives. He and the DA allegedly had been in cahoots, and... There had been all this talk about this guy was running a sex ring and he was a police chief. And, you know, to the point where people were like saying, oh, my God, this police chief is the Long Island serial killer. That was just kind of nuts. But, um, uh, you know, we now have a sex worker who's corroborating that uh, she did have sex with this police chief, um, you know, not too far away, just really close. And so let's just be clear for a minute, because with these allegations coming up with the sex worker, she's saying, hey, look, I had sex with the police chief, right? And I had sex at this party with the police chief. And we don't know if it was, uh, we're assuming that it's paid for, mm -hmm. right? So, and what we do know about the Long Island serial killer case is that we have Shannon Gilbert, which was at a party. Yeah. And she something goes awry. She leaves the party calling 911 saying, they are trying to kill me. Yeah. And then her body is found months and months or years later. Yeah. And it's, it's debatable if Shannon Gilbert's even a victim of the long Island serial killer here, but we have, you're talking about a sex party or, or a party where we're being entertained by a sex worker. The former police chief has sex with her in the bathroom at this Oak beach party. And we're talking about Shannon Gilbert being present at an Oak Beach party. Now, obviously, these are two completely separate different parties, but we have a situation here where Joe Brewer has been investigated, mm -hmm. and some people say that he's been cleared of any uh, any responsibility yeah. in Shannon Gilbert's death. But the problem here right, is we, right, have, right. we have additional people that are at that party. This wasn't just a Joe Brewer party. This was multiple people at the party, and we have unidentified persons at this party because Joe Burrow was not investigated until well after the fact. Right. So one could speculate that possibly what if there was the police chief at this party and if the police chief was at the party and Joe Brewer's cleared that maybe Joe Brewer shouldn't have been cleared. Yeah. Maybe it, he's only cleared to cover up for the unidentified persons that were at the party. And this also points out a frequency in these type of events going on in Oak Beach. Mm -hmm. And and like we also said, a lot of these victims of the case 
when their friends and family are being interviewed, they were saying, look, we're going out to these parties or going out to meet somebody. And it's, and the amount of money is way higher than it should have been. Mm-hmm. It, almost like a lore. And maybe it's just this, this sick um, sex ring where they're using these women and they don't care about them. And then they're disposing of them because they are, they are people of power. And so that that's kind of where we're at with and, this. You know, that's, that's coming from one source. Um, now, of course, we've continued to hear these rumors year after year. Um, this is the first person who's come forward. But to kind of um, legitimize her statement, more people need to come forward. And more women need we, to come forward. We think they are we, We've heard, forward. yeah, room, not rumors, but murmurings that, and it's a scary thing, right? If you're a woman who... Um, is going to allege that there were these sex parties with probably drugs with um, powerful people in law enforcement. Yeah. That's that's really what are you going to benefit off of that? Yeah. So it, it sounds very much like a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like why we didn't want to put too much credence in it. Um, also because we thought it took away from the real investigation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, something is rotten in Denmark, and it, the unfortunate thing is this is what happens. And I'm, I'm probably going to be wrong, um, spectacularly wrong here. Um, but this is what happens in a lot of cases where, you know, you've got police officers or in this case, a police chief doing really bad things. And it ends up tainting the rest of the investigation. So people start kind of going off on the on the conspiracy route that maybe this guy's the killer or, or something like that. And it's it's not that this guy's the killer. It's it's. You know these tragic events and ends up kind of bringing out everybody's dirty laundry, and and that's definitely what's happened here. Yeah. Okay, so Joshua and Rachel, with all these new developments, what do you think that this is going to lead to? I, I mean, I am less interested in the um, sex parties at Oak Beach. It is interesting. Maybe there is something there. I'm more interested in identifying these unidentified um, victims. I think that's probably the biggest. Um, possibility to create a timeline by if you identify them you're creating a timeline you're, you're building up that narrative to then go backwards and you know cross-reference um if you know maybe there's a digital footprint we don't know we don't know because we don't even know who they are um so moving forward with trying to id peaches trying to id asian male which we've been working again with todd um hoping that we can do something there there's still jane Doe number six um, still Fire Island Jane Doe. Who am I missing? Uh, HML, and Fire then Cherries, and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, that's the problem. We believe in this case that, that one of the best things to do is uh, concentrate on the missing and unidentified, on mm-hmm. the unidentified, not on some of the other stuff, but I understand... You know. The other stuff is sexy and, you yeah. know, exciting and titillating um, rather than just IDing some, you know, person. It's really sad and tragic. Yeah. Um, it's It's not, you know sex parties and blow in Long Island. Right. Um, but, you know, I think the most interesting thing is is all the people who are now talking about this case. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because, like, it, it, it takes the show, you know, and then the show sparks this, and then somebody else does that, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it just requires a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of coverage basically i mean this is why we continue mm-hmm. to do shows like yours which we think is great you know it's about reaching out to to the people who want to see these cases get solved and we really believe at this point in the power of crowd sleuthing you know whether it's web sleuth do network 
Charlie Project, whatever. But, you know, the answers are out there. Well, your your show has brought this case to what I like to call present day sleuthing, to present mm-hmm. day true crime army. It's it's more than just um, old people sitting at home watching Dateline. You know, now yeah. our show is very interactive with our listeners, and we get tips from our listeners as well as theories and case suggestions. And we love all that. We love having that interaction. We feel like we're one big uh, army of ants working together collectively with one consciousness. Yeah, and what we're working on right now, and the thing that you're spearheading, we're hoping to prove something Yeah, in, in a case that we covered. And if we can do so, then we're a part of uh, a bunch of this happening. It started primarily through uh, Serial. Mm-hmm. And by bringing that to the conscious forefront, and then look what's happened with that. And if he gets a new trial, or if they offer him an alpha plead, that is directly linked to the public pressure yeah i believe and then if you look at other shows like uh missing mara murray uh a show dedicated to one case and what they brought to light as well and you know again with the serial case you got undisclosed mm-hmm. and uh, uh truth and justice and stuff like that and and if it wasn't for this collective um there wouldn't be motion in a lot of these cases right right they would be still standing still they would be colder than ever and what's great about the killing season is they went out of their way and championed a place like web sleuths and brought them in they brought them out from their basements and they brought the web sleuthers out from behind their computers and put them in the forefront trolls they put them in the forefront of the investigation and allowed Mm -hmm. allowed their opinions their theories to be voiced as well as i mean there was such good speculation uh from some of these web web sleuthers on this case and i think what you're going to see here captain i think you're going to see this type of thing trending upwards where Mm -hmm. where and one can only hope so where we're going to see the documentarians working with the armchair detectives. We're, we, we're already seeing podcasts working with armchair detectives, and we're going to start to see law enforcement working with the whole group, with the documentarians, with the podcasters, with the web sleuthers, with the armchair detectives. And it can only bring good. It can only help the cause. Yeah, and one of the things that are interesting with what we're working on right now is at first we kind of felt silly like oh we're just a we're just a true crime podcast like is this are any of these detectives going to take our thoughts serious now we got kind of lucky because we have uh, a detective friend that you know we could drop his name and that kind of helps but i've been really surprised lately with uh your theories on, on this case, and I'm sorry that we're kind of being secretive about it, but we, again, we don't well, and we're to... not talking about the Long Island case. We're talking about a case that we've been working, but we've we've gotten lucky that there is a cold case detective in Columbus that's been interested in talking with us, and we've spoken to him in the past about a a previous case to gain some knowledge. Um, and we're, I mean, to you got to you got to shake some trees and see what falls out, right? Right, right. And well, and and I think the smartest people know especially when you're in a room of, of, of a bunch of people that, you know, if you're a smart person, I, I believe that you're, you're well aware that the answer might not always come from the smartest person or from the expert, you know, not, you know, normally when they have these cases, you know, they're, when they have these cases, you know, it's an eyewitness or somebody that just saw something that comes out later and that opens up a whole nother can of worms. So it doesn't have to be an expert that solves these things. Because, I mean, look, I, you know, I never was this true crime junkie. Now I'm a part of True Crime Garage. You know, 
I, I just did it so I could, you know, oh, I know how to record audio, so let me get involved. And even this dummy, you know, has had some pretty interesting thoughts on some cases throughout our last 70 episodes or whatever. Well, and the great part of it too, is that these, these documentaries, you know, it was, it was once the only the TV waves were reaching everywhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now we have all these great true crime podcasts out there that, that we, we have listeners in Russia, you know, and, 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 (laughs) in Australia and Germany and the UK and Canada all over the place. Mm -hmm. And what's great about that is the, we're finding that, there's this community and they're everywhere and that should be scary to the bad guys. It's going to get harder and harder to hide as technology gets better. And as the community of these, these forces get better. Yeah. So when you are diving into these cases, know that you might be the one that stumbles upon something that could make a break in something working with the web sleuth community. And I know that they have a lot of good theories on this case what were some of the better theories that you heard? I, I know you don't have time to investigate all of them. The threads on this case are amazing. Uh, what were some of the theories that were presented to you? <laughs> oh, what? I, I, I mean, well, the, the two killers versus one, you know? Right. What else? Two uh, killers versus one. <laughs> Oak Beach. Oak Beach. We went over that. Hackett, we went over that. Yeah, Peter Hackett. Yeah. Uh, always law enforcement. Yeah. Always law enforcement. Yeah, every one of our cases, everybody's like, must be law enforcement, right. must be law enforcement. And I think we might have touched upon this before, but it is very interesting, and I don't think we've ever quite nailed the understanding of this, but basically when you have a serial killer case or a, that goes unsolved, that has a number of victims, the public typically needs an answer for why the case is unsolved. And they we have this need to to find a logical answer because, you know, because if it's not law enforcement, that means that anybody can be able to get away with this. And so it's just very interesting how um, it's like a social experiment that uh, people always say it is the police who are doing it. It uh, becomes the most logical reason since the killer hasn't been caught. Oh, it must be a police officer. Right. Um, that's very interesting. Um, and, and, of course, that came up in Long Island. Um, right. And maybe if it's not a police officer, it's someone in power, someone with money, someone um, in some kind of control role. And that's why they're able to get away with it. Right. Or the sex, the sex right. party thing. You know, it's, it's interesting. You, you definitely see a lot of kind of urban legend, you know, mass hysteria things come up over and over again. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, it was hard for us to really separate, you know, what's a, what's a specific theory. Thank you for talking about these updates with us. Now, what do you think we can expect with this case going forward? So I think we're going to be hearing, uh, there's pretty maybe new updates that are happening. Yeah. You know, the FBI is involved in the case. And so uh, we know, I, I, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to, looking forward to seeing what's new going to happen. But I think we're going to start to be hearing a lot of more updates over the next two to three weeks, right? I I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. We're hoping to hear some more as well. And who knows, you might find your guys, you might find yourself in a situation where you got to pick up the camera and get back out on the road and, and do another show. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, if something breaks, we're going to pick up a camera and we're going to go. Yeah. Uh, Even if we, you know, even the show isn't, 
active right that second. I mean, we did that two weeks ago going out in Long Island right. um, with the press conference. So, you know, it's it's not other people who do documentary series. It's kind of um, you come in, you you do your punch card, and you care about the victims and their families. But at the end of the day, you go home and you leave it, you know, on the edit room floor, essentially. Unfortunately, and fortunately for us, uh, it's kind of a 24-7 thing for us. <laughs> Um, yeah, we can't get rid of it if we wanted to. Yeah, I know how you feel. Thank you both. And I'll tell you what, if there's any more developments, uh, let's get together. Let's do this again. No, totally appreciate it too. And, you know, everybody watch Amazon and then jump on Web Sleuth and let's yeah. see if we can solve this case. Yeah. And Josh and I are dance macabre on yeah. Web Sleuth. And we're also on Twitter. You can Twitter. reach us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of conversations going on. Uh, kind of all the time with regards to this case. So Josh is at Josh Zeman, and I'm at at Mills Rachel. I'll write those handles again. Web Sleuth is at Dance Macabre, and then it's at Josh Zeman for Twitter. And Mills Rachel, at Mills Rachel for Twitter. So thanks again for talking to us, two of the coolest people in the true crime documentary world. Yeah, that's right. Thank you both. It's been fun. All right. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. You You too. Thank you. Take care. Bye. This week's recommended reading is Slave Slave Girls by Wensley Clarkson, who is also the author of Hell Hath No Fury and Whatever Mother Says. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a plunge into a nightmare of unspeakable abuse and depravity. Uh, this case, this or book, don't. this book actually features several different cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check out slave girls by Wensley Clarkson. You can do that by going to truecrimegarage.com. Click on the recommended page. We got all of our books listed there. Don't forget about lost girls by Robert Kolker, which is one of the best books is the best book about the Gilgo case and the long Island serial killer. So pick up both of those by going through our Amazon banner. But uh, anyways, I'm going to leave you with this clip from this press conference about the accusations that this uh, prostitute is making towards the police chief. I think you'll find it interesting. It's about 16 minutes long, but check it out. It's There's some mind-blowing stuff there. significant development in the Oak Beach, Gilgo Beach murder or murders case. That development is that an escort, an active escort here in Suffolk County has determined to come forward and discuss with the press, discuss with the public that this escort met former Chief of Police of Suffolk County, James Burke, at a party in Oak Beach in 2011. And at that party, she had sexual relations with former Chief Burke, for which he paid. This is the first time that there has been an actual connection made between former Chief Police Burke, Oak Beach, and prostitution. It's the first time this has ever occurred, and that's why it is significant. 
Up until now, there's been a great deal of surmise about Chief Burke and his involvement with Oak Beach. We have circumstantial evidence that he had some knowledge of Oak Beach. His assignment, for example, to uh, the first precinct in that area, possibly his assignment to the Marine Bureau in that area, um, <clears throat> and his connection with Dr. Peter Hackett, the former police surgeon of Suffolk County, uh, who was the head of emergency medical services for uh, uh, several years back in the 90s. We now know, a new development has also occurred today, we now know that James Burke and Dr. Peter Hackett were in connection with each other, working with each other in the late 1990s uh, with respect to Flight 800 and the crash. So they knew each other, they certainly had a connection with one another, and when you take that and combine that with the knowledge that we're, we're giving you today, you'll see that these are significant developments down the road on this case. Jimmy Burke never mentioned that, his involvement with Oak Beach in his sentencing to the federal judge when he was sentenced for the crimes that he has uh, been convicted of and for which he is in prison. He never mentioned that connection. Now it is being made. To examine Jimmy Burke under oath as part of the case uh, that I, I have brought on behalf of the estate against Dr. Hackett. He is no longer just conjecture, he is now a potential witness in fact. So I will attempt to cross-examine or examine uh, former Chief Burke under oath as soon as the case that's pending in court is decided. Uh, so that's another development as well. Jimmy Burke, the same man who had porno in his car, the same man who was soliciting prostitution, the same man who was responsible for the investigation of the Gilgo Beach, Oak Beach uh, murders, is the same man who met this escort in Oak Beach and solicited her and had sex with her and paid for it after the investigation had already commenced. So that's why we're here today. And with, without more then, I'm going to ha ask uh, that Leanne uh, be willing to answer any questions. So you're alleging that um, these parties where Burke was at, where you were at, um, were other people there? Yeah. Um, were other uh, uh, law enforcement there? I mean, I would imagine so. Um, he was there. Uh, um, I mean, I don't know specifically, I, but I mean, I would imagine so. But it was a party. There were numerous people. There. Yeah, there were numerous people there. I mean, um, drugs. Yes. And and so this party. Where did this party happen? Oak Beach. Can you just start out by telling us the story of what happened, that you, how you came to meet James um, Burke? I was invited by a friend uh, while I was at Stony Brook University. Um, well, during the time in April, I was not at the university enrolled as a student. I was um, at, another, at another school um, 
but I was still coming back to Stony Brook because I was going to be re reinstated in September. And I um, went to this party with a friend as I often traveled back up uh, to New York because I didn't live here at the time. I lived in Rochester. So I came um, with, a, with a friend. Um, and there were there were other girls there that I knew that I would rather um, keep uh, under the you know I, I don't really want to reveal that um, I was told by someone because my area of study in which I have my bachelor's degree from Stony Brook um, is in you know crime forensics things like that uh, so I was introduced. Uh, well, not introduced, but I was pointed out to him. He was pointed out to me as a high-ranking official. No one really gave me his title, anything like that. So, um, you know, I continued to party, and I remember that the outfit that I wore was not really consistent with what you would see in es an escort wearing. I had on, um, I think, Abercrombie Fitch cut-off shorts and, you know, just some stupid shirt and, you know, Converse's. So I, I didn't really come across as anyone who was... Um, you know, someone you could solicit for sex. So um, I remember walking by him and saying hello. Um, that was pretty much the extent of that interaction. Um, there was really no, um, really nothing uh, untoward that, that occurred at that point. Uh, I came back again in August for another party. Um, it was it was at the same same location. Um, and at that point, I was dressed a little bit differently. I remember what I was wearing, and it was a little bit more risque. Um, I had never, up until this point, uh, ever accepted money for sex. This is actually my very first encounter with um, uh, pay, pay, pay for, you know, sex. So, um, well, what I would like to add from the first party is I did see Jim... Jim Burke grab a girl by her hair and drag her to the ground. Uh, I don't know how playful it was or how aggressive it was. I don't really know. I wasn't right next to them when it happened, um, but I, I do remember that she was, she was an Asian Asian girl. Um, so uh, the second party I went, I was a little a little more risque. Um, I encountered him. Um, we had a conversation. Uh, it, w it wasn't really much. Um, I was I was fairly intoxicated myself. Uh, I was not on cocaine. I've never done cocaine. Um, it just you know a whole lot of booze. And uh, I remember hearing that he was high up, and I figured, all right, this is my opportunity for you know a, a PBA card from a from you know a, a high a high ranking official. That you know that was just a joke in my head. Um, so he started to do things like, um, as we were talking, he would rub his hand up my leg, which, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a woman, I know when a man wants sex. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of took the cue and he, he kind of guided me to the bathroom um, where we started to engage in uh, sexual behavior. Um, he was uh, frustrated because he could not consummate the act. Uh, he, became to, uh, he, he began to get really aggressive. Um, and he used uh, the term that I was not a good whore. Um, uh, so at that point, uh, he began to um, try to uh, reach, you know, ejaculation through uh, oral sex. Um, but it wasn't really oral sex. It was more of him grabbing me in an aggressive manner by my hair, his, himself inside of me. 
um, choking. I remember tears, not tears from crying, but tears from, from how aggressive it was. I was tearing up, um, and he still couldn't, couldn't uh, reach reach a, a point of um, of ejaculation. So he kind of just gave up and uh, threw money at me, which was my first encounter with um, getting paid for uh, for sex. Was with, with, with was with him. Now at that point, I didn't know that he was, you know, so high ranking. I actually went back to a police officer friend of mine uh, later on and um, told him about the encounter, and he said that uh, he referred to him as Jimmy. Um, that was that was Jimmy Burke, and I said, "Who's Jimmy Burke?" And he showed me a picture, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's him." And uh, then I saw him again when he got arrested. I remember seeing him being let out in handcuffs and thinking, well, that makes sense because he's, you know, not a very nice person. I had called in a tip um, on an unrelated matter to the Gilgo Beach Task Force. Um, I called in a tip a couple of months ago. Um, I uh, received a call from the detective in charge of the case, uh, to one of the two, that's what they told me. Um, his name is Detective Rotolo, Rotola. Um, he actually revealed me to the person I tipped on. He revealed that I was the CI to the person that I called the tip in on. I have a question. You were, now you were there not as a, as an with an escort service. You were there just as a party. Just as a party. But right, there, so you were never affiliated with any particular no. escort service. Were you? A, did you have knowledge, or did you know any of the victims of the of, of the, the murder? I, I did not know any of the victims. Were there other escorts at this party? Yes. How do you know? Uh, I mean, now that I'm I've been in the business now for six years, and in hindsight, I can look back and say the behavior uh, to two women. On, on another person's lap, being led, you know, leading into adjacent bedrooms and, and doing certain things. Uh, but you're making an assumption. You don't know that the individuals were escorts. You, did, you don't even identify the women that were there as escorts. I mean, if they walk out with money in their hand, doesn't that make them, you know, doesn't that make it more suspect? Is that what they did? Yes. And did you infer agree to a monetary amount no. before? How much did he pay? Uh, he, he threw me like a wad between three to four hundred. I, I can't really recall. Uh, it was it was just a wad. At first it looked like a hundred, and then when you you know how sometimes when you have really crisp bills, you kind of push them apart and you notice that there are more underneath. That was the the situation, and I was a little uh, dehumanized, but kind of like, oh well, I didn't know that I could make that money for. 15 minutes of not doing much. Uh, so, you know, that that's... And this happened after the investigation was already underway? This was in, uh, the first time I met him in just, you know, in passing was in April 2011. I, in, in that area, April 2011, and then I know in August 2011 is when we had our mini trust. Can you tell us what the Gilgo tip was that you uh, wanted no. to tell police? that's unrelated to this? The, the tip uh, that was made to the police by Leanne was related to the Oak Beach case. However, it wasn't a tip about Jimmy Burke. It was a tip about someone else, and Leanne does not want to reveal that person. Okay. 
and, and it's not, it, it really would not advance the point that we're here for today. How do you characterize his behavior that night? Aggressive. Uh, aggressive, arrogant, uh, untouchable. Were you afraid that night, or now have you been afraid since? Not until they revealed me as a CI. When you saw it, when you witnessed uh, him drag a woman down to the ground, and you say you don't know if that was um, aggressive or playful. I mean, were you alarmed? Did it look to you like something you should be concerned about? Well, she seemed to be laughing, which was almost maybe that is consistent with his behavior. She has, you know, encountered him before, and that was something that it was consistent. He kind of just wrapped her like this, and kind of like went like you know, took her down, you know. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it hurts more if you just grab by one strand, but he kind of like went like this and, and kind of dragged her down, and she, she didn't seem to be too too frazzled by it. I mean, I, I, I would have been. Uh, she seemed to be more, you know, I guess uh, used to the behavior. Has your friend that was there that night um, provided the same testimony? Uh, uh, they're they're not going to speak, but I have uh, I have stated that I will take a lie detector test. Um, I have no problem doing that. And whose house were you at the night of the sexual encounter? The house is, is she can identify. She believes she can identify the house, which was a, a large house, uh, a year-round house at Oak Beach, and it was adjacent to the beach. Uh, the actual person who owned the house, it's not all that clear at this point. And what she does know, she'd rather keep confidential at this point. Until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 